0: sometimes what a guy feels isn't really what's actually happening, but if it's helping him produce a better result, right, because he's interpreting that information well, then it's really important.
1: So the way our muscles are structured and designed, even neurologically throughout our spinal cord, they're designed to contract in certain patterns that are generally always reciprocal.
0: If you look at like 90% of the greatest hitters that have ever lived, you're going to see them in one of three positions. You're going to see them angled closed, stepping closed, or kicking back
1: the population that we're treating, that we're trying to train, that we're trying to develop skills in is not the same type of population that is in a lot of this research. They're not novel learners. These aren't novel tasks. We're working with an existing motor plan and just trying to tweak or alter like a very hardwired motor program.
2: Fellas Fellas Fellas. Welcome back to the Farm System podcast, your home for baseball development. We're here for you, by you, and with you. I'm your co-host Joey Cunha,
3: and I'm Bo Callis. This podcast is designed for coaches, players, scouts, really anyone looking to further their development in the game of baseball. Here at the Farm System, we take pride in being lifelong learners, and we are here to be a bridge from where you are to where you're going.
2: We'd like to welcome back our veteran listeners. We're happy to grow with you again. We'd also like to welcome our first-time listeners, the rookies. Don't worry, every vet was once a rookie. This podcast is brought to you by our partners over at Baseball Cloud. Professional data for amateur players. Baseball Cloud allows players from all over the country to consolidate data from their performance into a centralized location. This allows players, coaches, and scouts to effectively track, compare, and view players' results through the use of graphs and a multitude of other visual analysis tools within seconds. Learn more about their software at BaseballCloud.com and follow them on social media at BaseballCloudUS.
3: If you haven't yet, make sure to check out the online marketplace of resources we put together at the system.farm. We have a multitude of different sections including drill videos, practice plans, discount codes, job listings, unsigned players, and so much more. Our premium membership gives you full access to travel ball rankings, player rankings, chat boards, as well as other features that we'll be releasing in the coming months. Make sure you're a member at the system.farm. That's the system.farm.
2: On this episode, we feature part one of 108's presentation at Pitchapalooza 2018, presented by Eugene Bleeker and Emily Faree. Don't leave that dugout. We got Bo and Joe coming up next on the farm system, right here, right now.
0: Thank you, Lance. Kind introduction. Um, First, I want to thank Lance for putting on such an amazing event. I mean, obviously, the turnout is unbelievable. Uh, It grows every year. Uh, This is like the one time during the year we have this in the ABCA where we can go to share information and gain knowledge and get around like-minded people because for the most part, the rest of the year, we're all on an island, right? And half the time, you know, you don't know, you're testing stuff out, trying stuff. So, you know, thank Lance, thank my family, and I have uh, Dr. Emily Faree with me as well. So we have two facilities located in Southern California. Anybody that has one facility, don't open up a second one, right? Because you're gonna have to work ridiculously hard. It's very, very tough between both shops. Um, So two, we uh, started a partnership with the biomechanics lab uh, about two years ago. And in the last year, we've had the opportunity to test things at a considerably higher degree. We've been able to send a lot of players through there Uh, to continue to work together on gaining a better understanding of what we're actually seeing, what we're actually doing, uh, testing results, and trying to understand more about how the body moves in relation to hitting and throwing. Uh, I would say that we are data-influenced but results-driven, right? So uh, hopefully you'll get an understanding of that through the rest of the presentation. Uh, And we also have a unique cross-section of clients, right? So we had an 11-year-old that came in for an evaluation about two months ago. He was 78 to 80 off the mound and topped out at 81 is 11, right? We're in Southern California. We see unbelievable players. We got the opportunity to work with like, I don't know, maybe 14 or 15 kids on the USA team at different age brackets this last year. Uh, We work with, you know, elite high school players, college players, big leaguers, um, and see them on a fairly regular basis. So we get to test a lot of things out. And, you know, if you have a team, you get the opportunity to work with like 15 guys over the course of the year. Uh, We have the opportunity to see 100 guys on both sides of the ball every two weeks. So we get to see things, I think, in a little bit of a different degree. So there's a quote by a guy named Serge Grakovetsky, uh, who's brilliant. If you don't know his work, look into him. And he says, physics is wonderful because you know that whatever you do, someone else will show you that you're wrong. So now that you know that everything I will tell you is wrong, there is no point to disagree with me. So look, some of the stuff in the presentation, like this is going to challenge some of the thinking that we've had in the past. Uh, which I think is a very important thing to move forward. So here's a quote from John Ioannidis from Stanford University. It can be proven that most claimed research findings are false. Think about GERD, right? Guys hurt their arms, and then all of a sudden, like, we test them, and a doctor says, oh, well, you know, this arm can go down to here, this one can only go down to here. And then we come to find out later that that's just a natural adaptation of the human body to gain external rotation in the throw, right? So there's no correlation between that and the actual injury. So next one, lowering the mound. I know Kyle looked into this a while back. We did the same thing. We had an elite high school baseball player that's 16 that was up to 96 throw pitches off the mound and flat. Off the mound, he had less than 20 Newton meters of torque, less than 20. On flat, he was 105. He didn't have the time to get his arm up and get it to turn and capture at the right time. So there's a lot of things that have been said or we look at, but we need to continue to look at a little bit differently. So all too often, science is presented as trafficking in absolute truths. On the contrary, science is a framework for interpreting, systematizing, and predicting nature based on empirical observation. Here's the deal. Man sees apple fall from tree. Man says, why does apple fall from tree? Man discovers why apple fell from tree. Baseball coaches are not, by nature, scientists. That's not how this thing evolved, right? So we are coaches that got results doing certain things, right? Like slow is smooth, smooth is fast, right? That's not wrong. There is nothing that is wrong. Everyone in here, there's nothing that anybody's done that's wrong. Individuals interpret information differently. And as a result, different things work. If baseball coaches were scientists, how this thing would have started was testing empirical observations. Like why is it that when I tell him to swing down and him to swing up, he creates a better result with this one and he creates a better result with that one? Why is it that we didn't test, okay, well, how come when I tell this guy that's 87 to go smoother and easier, he's at 90, right? He's trying less hard, but producing a better result. Understanding those questions is extremely important to continue to move the needle forward, okay? So last year, we did the presentation. It was predominantly on hitting. Um, One of the things that we tested was angles of the lower half uh, when we swing, right? So everybody, the scissor gained a lot of popularity, right? Uh, being closed off is the same thing. If you look at like 90% of the greatest hitters that have ever lived, you're going to see them in one of three positions. You're going to see them angled, closed, stepping, closed, or kicking back because as human beings, we're reciprocal movers. And we tested this in the lab. We already knew it worked. We empirically observed that it worked. Like we were telling guys to do it and we tried it and messed with it and guys were improving exit velocities, time to contact was better. Like guys were getting results with it. Jose Altuve Got results with it really, really fast. Miggy told him, why don't you try that? And he did. And then he does an interview and says, oh, this is where I get my power from. He feels it. He doesn't need a lab to know that he's doing it. He's producing a better result. But we went to the lab and we tested it and we got the results back. The kickback produced extremely higher force rates, like way higher uh, on a lot of different areas. And closed off is very similar to that. So here's some of the greatest hitters Who have ever lived, right? Watch their back foot. That's Hank Aaron, Ernie Banks, Mike Trout, right? Robin Yount, Stanton. He closed off and then got better, right? That's why. Watch how they're moving. Okay, so this is a professional player that we work with. He was fortunate enough to get a call up to the big leagues this year. So he's throwing a medicine ball against the wall on a cortex board, okay? Watch the degrees that his feet, that one he was able to stick. I told him to do it at 60%. That one, I told him to do it 80%. This one was 100%. The harder he tried to throw it, right, the more he spun, the more he went cross-body. You heard Lance talk a lot the other day about moving from the middle, okay? As human beings, we need to move from the middle. Can you explain a little bit about reciprocal movement patterns?
1: Generally, the way our bodies are wired, um, there's no actual physical connection between muscles. So we talk a lot about a kinetic chain and how muscles move and work together. Muscles aren't actually connected, but muscles insert into what's called fascia, um, which is a connective tissue that's completely continuous throughout your body. And so up to 30% of your muscle fiber is actually insert into that fascia. And so when you contract a muscle, it pulls on the connective tissue, which pulls on another muscle and creates a contractile response. So certain muscles are designed to work and contract together, um, and certain muscles are designed to oppose that. So basically most all of our movement is centered around gait, which is a reciprocal motion. You think left leg forward, right arm swing. So that would be a reciprocal motion. So the way our muscles are structured and designed, even neurologically throughout our spinal cord, they're designed to contract in certain patterns that are generally always reciprocal.
0: Not only is that creating a better or more optimal length tension relationship in the muscles, right? It's also stopping the hips sooner. You've heard everybody talk about, right? Like Jason was talking about uh, in the better hitters, they decelerate better, right? They decelerate better. How about this deceleration? How about these guys just sticking baseballs, okay? Think Mike Schmidt. Here's Trout, J.D. Martinez. Look at the angle of their hips. It's closed. It's not open. Everybody's focused on the the engine, the engine, the engine when it's more about the brakes. You got to put the brakes on with the lower half so the trunk can accelerate. You got to put the brakes on with the trunk so the barrel can accelerate. All of these things can be taught. They're all Everything is a teach and everything is a non-teach. You don't teach everybody to do the same thing, but these are ways to become more efficient with hitters. And like, look, we haven't uh, gotten the opportunity to test all of these in the lab yet, but I already know what the results are gonna be. Why? Because I'm not, like Ferb says, I'm not weird. Look at it, right? Like these guys are doing this because of that. When you hear A-Rod, one of the greatest, he got blown up on Twitter. Blown up on Twitter. We're talking about one of the greatest hitters that's ever lived, right? Blown up on Twitter for talking about his barrel being above his hands, right? Blown up on Twitter for talking about his lower half. He doesn't know anything. Maybe you don't know what's actually happening inside his body and you don't know what he felt. When you watch him talk about Turner and how his legs look like thousand-year-old tree trunks screwed into the ground, watch the swing. Like, if you watch his swing at the end of this, like, look at that. He's stuck. He's stopped. He's creating a better impulse on the ball like a, big, a bigger explosion by doing that. Okay, so this is a really powerful video. This is one of the greatest right-handed pitchers in the history of the game. Okay? Pedro Martinez, like what, 5'10", 98, 20 years, never had an arm injury. So he's going to talk about one of the things he thought while he was pitching. And then he's going to talk about, uh, the, I think the article was entitled, like Pedro Martinez on saving your pitching elbow. Okay? Where the
2: release point is. You said you, were, you threw it out in front of your face? Yes. I wanted to you try of, to get as far as the as you can. I wanted to imaginary tube where I wanted to have my hand, my hand, where I kind of wanted to see it and then follow the ball. And this gets exposed and doesn't have the time to get properly on top like it should.
0: At no point did he throw from that slot ever once in his entire career. He had optimal movement. Was the thought for him to get over the top important? Yeah, for him. Maybe when he thought about that, he got into his lead hip better right? But when you tell, if he told a team of 12-year-olds that, or a team of high school kids get over the top, and he shows that, maybe they don't all create the same movement. There's a common theme everybody keeps hearing, movement, 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 because how we move is responsible for all of the results that we produce. All the velocity in the arm, the health in the arm, everything that's happening is coming from how we move. And if we move better, right, we create better results, healthier, harder, more efficient results. Feel versus real, Right, that's really important and can be super confusing because sometimes what a guy feels isn't really what's actually happening. But if it's helping him produce a better result, right, because he's interpreting that information well, then it's really important, right. And I also think, and obviously we don't have data behind this, but if you look at, you know, how uh, guys talk about their barrel above their hands, like really good players have really good feel, right. So A. Rod talks about it, Trout talks about it, Pools talks about it. Those guys are pretty good. Those guys are pretty good. So. I'm pretty sure our brain perceives information like based on, you know, like spine angle, like how you walk around every day. So if I put my barrel above my hands like this, right? You can't hit like that. But what if I tilt my trunk over, but keep my hands in the same position, right? Tilt my trunk over. So for me, I feel my barrel on top of my hands, but in reality, right? Like it's below my, if I'm watching a video, it's below my hands, but in reality, it it might not be. in relation to his spine angle, might be above. So this was a video of uh, uh, the same player that we were working with, and we were working through that feel with him. Like he's working on uh, this offseason, like sticking balls a little bit better and staying on plane a little bit better, Uh, or more directional, I would say, not better. And when he was doing the work in the cage, he was not creating the right movement adaptation. So my thought was, what if we try to tell him barrel above hand? wonder what happens. He argued with me for like 15 minutes, like, you know, great relationship. Like we talk back and forth. Finally, I got him to do it and he created a better back path. Like the path was better. He felt better. He didn't like that that was his thought because he knows that that's not what's happening, but he was better. Uh, we don't have time to play the, it's like a four minute video. We got to keep moving through because we have a lot of stuff to present. So I'm, I'm going to turn this over to, to the doctor uh, because she's going to do a way better job than I am explaining the whole, motor learning thing. Like we have this huge movement in the game and like Andy McKay, I hold an event called Bridge the Gap uh, on the West Coast and Andy McKay spoke this year and one of the things he talked about was that in baseball, we tend to go like way too far in given directions, right? And this whole like self-organization, external goals, like yes, like I love external goals, right? But I also love internal goals. If you guys listened to Zach DeCann earlier, you would have heard him say the same thing right? Because everything has value and everything has merit. Um, But there's a big movement on that. So I just wanted to turn it over to Emily so she could kind of explain some of that stuff.
1: So a lot of the um, research that guides that kind of trend in baseball right now for external cueing and whole practice and goal-based or results-based practice um, is driven from research that takes complex tasks and looks at how do people best learn um, new motor behaviors. They take people and they teach them a novel task and then they're wor- they're focusing on task retention um, and so I would argue that in baseball with the athletes that you're training with the athletes that I'm training and that Eugene is training that we are not taking people and teaching them a novel task. What we're doing is we're taking elite level athletes who have a very hardwired motor program of how to do something that is now habitual. That motor program is actually Um, coded within the frontal cortex of your motor cortex of your brain um, and it's very automatic. So the population that we're treating, that we're trying to train, that we're trying to develop skills in is not the same type of population that is in a lot of this research. They're not novel learners. These aren't novel tasks. We're working with an existing motor plan and just trying to tweak or alter like a very hardwired motor program. Um, Unfortunately in the research there really isn't any research that is actually doing just that—that's taking elite-level athletes and trying to not teach them a new motor program, but to give them just slight tweaks to their existing motor program. Reason for that is um, us scientists don't want to mess with uh, elite athletes and tweaking their performance because if we mess with performance, we'd be in trouble. And most elite-level athletes aren't volunteering for research that would tweak their motor programs. Um, so I would argue that potentially the research in motor learning that may be most applicable to your athletes, to elite level baseball players, and to what you're actually doing with your athletes, um, is research in the neurologic sector on gait retraining. So walking is extremely automatic. None of you think to yourself, heel, toe, left leg, right leg, right arm swing, left arm swing. You can walk in variable environments with different shoes on at different cadences, and your gait is generally the same always gait and walking is actually pre-programmed in your spinal cord um, so they've done research on cats and disconnected their uh brain to their spinal cord and stuck them on a treadmill and they've walked so completely brain dead cats no connection between their brain and their body and they have a reflex within their spinal cord that will allow them to up. continue to science. yeah this is why science is this was done like back in the 70s so we were like PETA and all that wasn't a thing Point being, uh, gait and walking is programmed within your spinal cord, and it is habitual and automatic. Um, and so, what we do in the physical therapy world, when we want to change the way that somebody walks, um, we basically do the exact opposite of everything I just mentioned before. It's none of this whole practice, none of this big external cues, none of this task-based approaches. What the research in gait research shows us is that. Um, in order to effectively change the motor pattern of somebody's walking is that you break down a very complex movement into phases. You work phasically, um, individually, you do part versus whole practicing, um, there's a lot of intrinsic tactile cueing, a lot of like explicit information on exactly how to perform that phase of movement, which generally research will say don't ever do that. You don't want a lot of explicit information on how to do a task, you just want to implicitly learn but it's the exact opposite with this very habitual task. What you actually want to do is give them a ton of information on how you do it. And research will show that the most effective way what they do with gait is they essentially put sensors all over the body. And they're visually showing the patient which muscles are contracting, when they're contracting, how they're contracting. So they're giving them all of this feedback on what's happening so that they can actually change the way that they move. And the reason that is effective is you're taking a very automatic task and making it not automatic. If a major league pitcher is not thinking about how to throw when he's on the mound. He's just throwing. You've taken a task that is automatic for him. Same thing with hitters. The ball comes and they're responding. They're not thinking about it, they're responding. So if you want to actually alter that pattern, you have to basically bypass the automaticity or the habitual effect of that movement. And the way to do that is basically the opposite of what most motor learning research is doing.
0: And that's what we kind of presented on last year, because that's what I feel like, look, I like everything. I've done everything. I like, I've gone full intent-based. I've gone, I've done all of it, right? And my job is to get results. I'm influenced by data and what it tells me, but I'm not a slave to it. I'm trying to get results that last on the field, right? The kid that we showed earlier, like he had 261 or 267, something like that last year. This year he had 347. So something that we did worked. His OPS went up like 100 points. His slugging went up like 100 points. Like that or more. Like, but that was because of very specific alterations in his movement patterns that were created through an, an evaluation based on how he was moving, what was happening in games, and then putting a plan in place together to alter the motor patterns. Like, when you look at what Zach was talking about earlier, that guy's brilliant, right? He's doing the exact same thing with guys in the weight room. That's why he's really good at what he does. He's focusing on movement. Okay, so Serge Grakovetsky. Uh, again, brilliant professor. The fittest of a species is often described as the one that makes the most economical use of its energy resources within its own ecological nature ecosystem. So what that basically means is he who does the least to create the most survives the longest, right? How many guys you see, I mean, sexiest thing you could watch, guy effortlessly throw a ball, 100, right? Let's watch a couple of those. So, oh, I'm definitely playing that one. It's 101, So let's use empirical observation, guys. we got all these baseball guys in this room. If we're all watching that, we say that looks easy, right? That looks easy. But we also see that his back leg, like all of them, on their hardest pitches is not even getting past their lead leg. It's not even getting past their lead leg. We see them not really like driving and pushing early. We see them kind of like floating, like just easy down the mound, conserving energy, and then all of a sudden picking up all of this like momentum capturing energy up the chain and decelerating the brakes they are putting on the brakes better than everybody else when you talk about balance when you talk about being uh tall or slow as smooth smooth as fast. that's it that's what it looks like everybody that's always said that not wrong not wrong but if you tell that to one guy he might throw really slow and you tell it to another guy and he throws hard like it, it depends on how they're interpreting the movement so this next one, I think, is try to keep an open mind here. I think if everybody looks at it like through an open lens, you're going to get it. Okay, recoils. Who decided that there was bad decelerator strength? A doctor? Is that the same doctor that gives a guy that comes in with an arm issue, like a trash throwing program and tells him to go work on his D cell strength and he's going to be fine. And then after three months off, he goes back to throwing and he still feels like crap. Is it that same doctor? Like, I think so. I think so. Because when we first started like looking into this, I was working with a hitter last year during the off season and we're working on trunk D cell moves. And I had like a random thought, like what if that's where the recoil comes from too? What if it's just a D cell of the trunk? And then I started calling a bunch of crazy people like me. I called Wes. I think I called Lance. I called a bunch of people. And they were all like, yeah, totally, totally could be. And then after a couple of months, like I got the balls to try it, like to tell a kid to do it, right? The kid was a rising... Junior in high school, 16 years old, never been above 85, right? I think it was like 85.3 or something like that. And just everything leaking forward, everything kind of just folding across, kind of jumping forward. Everybody has a guy like that. You know what I'm talking about. So I just told him. I told him. I said, dude, you ever watch uh, Severino? You ever watch how he kind of conyo finish, like pimps to finish? Oh, by yeah, right? And by the way, like, who the- have you ever seen anybody that doesn't throw fuel that does it? Like if we were on an island right now and we didn't have any of the information that we have and we saw a group of guys throwing really hard over here that did it and a group of guys that didn't over here is the first thing we're going to think to ourselves, you know what? The back of his shoulder is probably weak. Like probably not. Okay. So I told him to try it and he did. And guess what? In that bullpen in 20 minutes, he jumped four miles an hour in peak EV Average three hires sat 87 to 89 for the rest of the summer and committed to a big D1 program that summer. Like he felt better, his arm felt better, felt easier. So now I'm going to turn it over to the doctor because we tested this in the lab.
1: Um, So it is my hope and goal today that you all realize that this idea of weak decelerators um, with an arm recoil is a total myth. Um, So what is actually happening when an arm recoils? It's not that your decelerators have just completely stopped working for you. In fact, it's the exact opposite. So what is actually happening when an arm recoils is you have something called a muscle spindle reflex working, and your overall fascial kinetic chain is also at work. So you guys have all been to the doctor. You sat on the table. They've tapped your knee, and your leg is kicked out, correct? Unless you have something severely neurologically wrong with you. So what that reflex is, it's the same reflex reflex that's happening when an arm recoils. So in every muscle of your body, you have a neuroreceptor called a muscle spindle. That spindle is sensitive to stretch. And so what happens is your muscle is stretched as it's lengthened. That spindle registers that your muscle is stretching. It sends a neural response up to the motor pool in the spinal cord for that muscle. That motor pool then sends another motor signal, a nerve response back down to that muscle to contract and shorten. So basically it's this reflex arc where a muscle is lengthened and then contracts to shorten again. It's your body's natural protective response to keep your muscles from overstretching, which would cause tearing, things like that. And then along with that, what is happening, um, as I mentioned earlier with reciprocal motion, um, there's only one tissue in your body that is completely continuous, and it's called fascia. So if you were to skin a human, um, what would be underneath your skin is a continuous sheath of what's called fascia. It's this very clear connective tissue. And the fibers of that fascia, they run in certain slings and chains. And that's what I mentioned before is connecting certain muscle groups. Um, And so you have have something called a posterior oblique fascial sling that runs from your glute max up your thoracolumbar fascia to your lat all the way up to your posterior rotator cuff. So it happens as a pitcher follows through in his arm motion, your um, stride leg, your front leg glute is maximally contracting and lengthening, your thoracolumbar fascia, your lat is lengthening, and of course your decelerators and your posterior rotator cuff are all lengthening. So in a perfectly healthy neurologic system, as those muscles all lengthen and contract together, your nerve should be firing going up your spinal cord and contracting those muscles back to strengthen them. So an arm recoil is, the, in my opinion, the safest, most efficient way for your body to self-protect and at a high velocity to pull your arm back. So what we do instead um, is we teach baseball players to tuck their hand in their back pocket and just continue that arm motion to pull it close to their body. And what happens is towards the end of that motion, your pec and the other internal rotators of your shoulder are actually concentrically pulling your arm that direction. And we have another neurologic response. It's called automatic inhibition. And so what happens is when the muscles that are opposite other muscles, so a flexor and an extensor, if a flexor contracts, my body will automatically relax my extensor in order to continue that range of motion. So if my pec is on pulling my arm back to my back pocket, my rotator cuff is going to turn off. So instead of a really strong decelerator, as I pull my arm towards my back pocket, I'm not only lengthening my rotator cuff, but I've now shut it off. Um, so what we've seen a little bit with some EMG studies that we've put on some guys is that there's actually less rotator cuff activity and more lengthening when you have them tuck their hand towards their back pocket. Um, so in my opinion, and I know I'm not in the baseball world necessarily, I'm not coaching, but from a biomechanical standpoint, it's my opinion that an arm recoil is actually much healthier than pulling the arm to the back pocket.
0: So let's think about Severino, right? When you go on Baseball Savant and you type in uh, 97 to 102, 2017, 2018, only show plays with video, you get this list of like guys who threw pitches within those velocities. Guess who's number one on the list? It's Severino. He throws 101 in the ninth inning, like it's because he stops so well. Right, it's because he stopped so well. So we actually uh,
1: yeah. If did you don't some- if you don't believe me from a theoretical standpoint, we do have data. So um, Eugene took a lot of his throwers um, on their initial, initial eval, so he had not trained them or coached them yet, um, and we measured the amount of stress of their elbow and just overall kinematics and kinetics of their throwing motion, um, and then he brought them back in, taught them to arm recoil, so it was an accurate movement and didn't give them any other cueing or anything like that, and just had them throw their same pitch, no other cues to change anything else but just to recoil. Um, we measured, on average, a 38% decrease in torque at the elbow, um, different, kinematic ch- or, yeah, different kinematic changes throughout the throwing motion that resulted in better arm patterning um, and better just general motions of both the upper and lower body. And then we also measured changes in overall kinetic sequencing, so timing of rotation and things like that. Um, so here's just, uh, just a couple data examples from some of our guys who had the biggest effect size um, with the recoil. So this is a graph of the um, torque at the elbow at their peak um, position. So both uh, of these graphs are zoomed, not to scale. So I know they look the same. But if you look at the raw numbers, this particular athlete went from 134 Newton meters of torque to 35 Newton meters of torque. Like, such a drastic drop in torque with only cued to recoil.
0: Above 115, for reference, like 115 or above is considered not if, but when, right? Like if you're looking at like 90 to 115, high end is safe, but would like to stay, I mean, ideally below that.
1: Um, So this is a picture demonstrating some of the kinematic changes that we saw in some of our pictures. This particular athlete at stride foot contact, what you'll notice is he's leaked open, his shoulders are towards home plate, um, his elbow is really low, and then afterwards, same time point, stride foot contact, his shoulders are more closed, his elbow's in a better position, and what that resulted in it was less elevation of the shoulder and a lot less, or sorry, less elevation of his elbow and a lot less torque on his elbow as he pitched. Um, and then this is a graph of the kinetic sequence of a particular athlete as well. So this is a graph of rotational velocity of the pelvis, the torso, and the, as the arm comes through. So pelvis is in red, torso is in green, and then arm is in blue, and what you'll see before is that and this particular pitcher actually initiated rotation with his torso. His pelvis came late, and then his arm comes right after his pelvis. So his sequencing is off. Um, with only the cue to recoil, this is his kinetic sequence afterwards. And what you see is actually proper sequencing, initiating with his hips, very closely followed by his torso, and then a slight lag with his arm.
0: So what I would say about that entire thing is that if you cue a guy to do it and he does it poorly or like crap, then it's not good. Like, it's all about how we move. Whatever you give a player makes no difference, right? If it causes a good movement adaptation, it's good. If it produces a bad one, it's bad. Really simple, right? So uh, the point of that entire thing was to open up, because we, we see guys feeling better. Like, we don't, it's not everybody, but we, you know, we don't do it with everybody or say force them. Some guys just naturally do it, right? And for some guys, if you're a stiffer mover and they try to do it, they pull slack out real quick so they de a little too early. You got to tell them to do it later or just tell them to, one of the things that I use a lot is that guys should, uh, elite players allow for thoughts to influence their motor patterns, but they don't force results, right? So like when you look back at Aaron Boone in the 2003 ALCS and, and Joe Torrey tells him, hey, listen, try to get a base hit to right, but that doesn't mean you're not going to hit a home run to left because Wakefield's on the mound, right? And he hits a home run to left to walk it off. Like he didn't force himself to stay inside the ball to push a ball to the right side, because he's elite. He allows himself to organize like well to produce a good result, but he doesn't force the result of you know fighting
2: to stand side the ball. Gotta love when Eugene gets fired up. This call takeaway is brought to you by Yakertech.
3: Tech is the gold standard for measuring spin rate, velocity, trajectory, and most important, spin axis of a pitched ball. No other system captures such clarity on a moving ball. Learn more about their system at yakertech.com. Also follow them on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook to stay up to date at YT Ball Tracking. That's at YT Ball Tracking. Yeah, Joy, what was your biggest call takeaway from the presentation?
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, one of the biggest things um, we talked about, obviously, you know, recoil there is gonna um, ruffle some some feathers, right? Uh, for a long time, it was viewed um, a different way, and obviously, it kind of just comes back to uh, you know a lot of times. We start um, thinking one thing or another um, off of like preconceived notions. Don't get me wrong. I mean just like Eugene was saying there, um, there's definitely people that can do it out of sequence. There's people that can uh, be cute to do it and do it wrong. Everything comes – um, back to the movement right um you know guys can do kickbacks right and if they do them wrong they can still hurt their back and if they do them um you know there's a right way and a wrong way to do a lot of these movements and just because um you know people are going through them or trying them doesn't necessarily mean you're doing it the right way so that it obviously makes sense that a lot of people um if you tried it or you tried it with the player and it didn't work um you know again it's probably how they're doing it right and the same thing with a kickback or anytime we talk about any of that deceleration stuff as well um but how about you Bo?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Mine's more from like an overhead view. Um, Obviously, with these kind of episodes, it shows us that the game is going through a transition. Um, And these type of people like Eugene and Emily are at the forefront kind of laying the groundwork for the future. Um, You know, obviously, knowledge is power when it comes to player development Uh, and coaches that can kind of speak that language. Those guys are getting plucked for big time jobs. So happy that we were able to share this with our listeners and hoping they find some valuable takeaways.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, again, guys, make sure to check out uh, the online resources that we put together and uh, make sure too, to rate this episode, share this episode. This is part one. Um, we'll go into uh, part two and we'll release that um, next time. So make sure to stay tuned for that. Um, but from us and our partners over at Baseball Cloud, until next time, Farm System out.